today, um, which is what it is. Uh, but speaking of suffering, can the owner of the grey Citroen uh, number plate ML58RCF, ML58RCF, I'm afraid you've been broken into, I'm sorry about that. Could you see Andy at the back? Wave a hand, Andy. Citroen, anyone Citroen? Go to the back, Andy will sort you out. It's probably from the Indian Orthodox Church, actually. Might be worth checking it out. Um, okay, so Ephesians, we're back in our series on Ephesians. And Paul takes a little bit of a break from what he was doing in Ephesians, a little bit like we did last week when we spoke about Pentecost. But this is what's going on. So this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your phones, you can follow along on there. It will come up on the screen. But there's my graphic. Everyone takes the mick out of this graphic, but that took me hours of hard work. You, you, like that font, impossible. Very hard to do. And I know it's inspiring you all. But I'm going to keep putting it up until somebody else does something better. Here it is, 3 verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he breaks off. It's almost like he's about to go into that prayer that I just prayed. For this reason I kneel before the Father. We're going to have that next week. Paul takes a little break. This is his little break. He says this. It's almost like it comes to him in the moment. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people who wouldn't consider themselves part of the nation of Israel, us, basically, unless you're Jewish, uh, given to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly round according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Why is this about suffering? Well, Paul has had this long, continuous one and two outpouring of all the blessings that we've received in Christ Jesus, that we are full of all of these things and we're to fill everything in every way. And it's almost like he's reminded by that first line as he's saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner. And as soon as prisoner enters his mind, he says, hang on a second, I need to talk about suffering. Because we know he's talking about suffering because we get to the end in verse 13 right there. And he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Paul knows that the people to whom he's writing this letter are discouraged because Paul is currently writing it from prison. So he's talking about the amazing things that Christ has done, that he fills us with his presence, that he sets the captives free, that he releases the oppressed and he's doing it in a jail cell. 
And that was deeply discouraging for the people hearing his letter. And so Paul says, I'm going to deal with this right now, and I'm going to talk about suffering. We need to talk about suffering, because the amazing thing about Christianity is Christianity doesn't sweep suffering under the carpet. Christianity doesn't distance itself and pretend that it's not happening. Suffering is a real subject of the Bible. And again and again, we see that the writers of the Bible and God speaking to us through the Bible deals with the problem of suffering. Now, if you've ever heard a Christian or a church say that if you become a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you're not going to experience any suffering, don't listen to them again. They have no idea what they're talking about. Because as Christians, it's not like we come to faith and then everything goes right. It's like our life just keeps going on better and better. We accrue more money. We find more purpose. We get the dream job. We get the dreams that we've been dreaming for for many, many years. That is not the case. We become more like Christ, yes, but life still happens around us. We still experience the sufferings. You could argue when you become a Christian, you experience more suffering because you experience something called persecution. Now, we don't experience the kind of persecution they experienced in the Bible because we have the freedom to be able to claim our religion in the UK. But we do experience levels of certain levels of persecution. For example, we talk about the person of Jesus. And to some people, the person of Jesus is offensive. And so we lose friends. Or people think that we're stupid, naive, that we've just got this emotional crutch that we're leading on in life. And to those people, I say, yes, we have this emotional crutch. Let me talk to you about him. He's called Jesus. Suffering is one of the biggest questions that people have against the existence of God. We do something here called the Life Course. Again, I guarantee every time in our group times, somebody brings up the subject of suffering. And it goes something like this. How can you believe in a good God when there is so much suffering going on? And this, by the way, is a problem that every single religion has to deal with. Every religion needs to be able to deal with the problem of suffering. I would an atheist need to deal with the problem of suffering because an atheist who doesn't believe in God shouldn't even really think that suffering is a bad thing. Who says suffering is a bad thing? It's just a natural part of the evolution, survival of the fittest. It's a natural part of the world falling apart around us. Why, as an atheist, do you think that it is a bad thing? May I suggest that you have, you're appealing to this higher level of morality of what's good and what's bad. Let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And here's how he can meet with you. Suffering is a problem. Now, here's the real problem, because suffering is not about theological debates. It's not about pointing to the now and the not yet and realized eschatology or unrealized eschatology or overrealized. Nobody cares about that, because the one thing that people are thinking about when they bring up the problem of suffering in their life is they're looking at you as a Christian who believes in God, and they're saying, it really hurts right now. I'm in pain, and I need help. And so in Christians, our job is to offer help. And this is exactly what Paul's doing here in this passage. How do we know that suffering hurts? Probably because we've all experienced it and we know that it hurts. Paul puts it here. He says that we are discouraged when we experience suffering. That Greek word means to lose your heart. So when we experience suffering, it breaks our heart, doesn't it? But when we experience prolonged suffering... It feels like our heart gets ripped from inside of us. And as a result, we start to become numb. And we don't feel anymore. It's almost like we've felt too much. And Paul says to the Christians who are experiencing persecution, who are looking at Paul writing from prison, telling them all about the victories that God has won through Christ. And he says, do not be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Don't lose your heart. Keep on feeling and let me tell you how. 
And surprise, surprise, the way that he's able to tell them not to lose heart is all centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the person of Jesus. Four times in this passage, he appeals to the mystery that has been made known in Jesus. The mystery. Now, this is one of those strange moments where the Greek word doesn't actually mean what our English word for mystery means. Because when we think of mystery, we think of something like a murder mystery where you're watching a film and you don't know who has committed the crime or something that's happened that's really bad and you have to wait till the end to find out who it is. Mystery in the Greek is actually completely different. To have a mystery in the Greek language that Paul's writing in here is to have something that is supernaturally revealed to us that we couldn't possibly possibly have come to the conclusion of by our own intuition. So what he's saying here is the gospel of Jesus Christ is well beyond any of our attempts to ever try and think about something to do to deal with the problem of suffering in the world that is so counterintuitive that it had to be revealed to us in a supernatural way. That's the mystery. And the mystery, as we know, is a mystery of grace. He mentions grace three times there. And the grace he's talking about in the context there is the reconciliation of the Gentiles and the Jews. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? That they would never have fathomed that the Gentiles and the Jews will be of one faith, unified in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the gift of grace that enables them to be able to do it because the Jewish people thought that it was all about the law. Now, the law isn't a gift, The law points out the need for a gift. So in the law, they were saying, if I can do these things, then I'll be closer to God. I'll be a part of the people of God. And then Paul is saying here, through Jesus Christ, we're told that the law is not a gift. And the word grace means gift. The law is not a gift. Let me tell you what is a gift. The gift is the person of Jesus. And so here's the gift for us this morning. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, which is the gospel, by the way. So when people talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. That includes his life. If God were to make himself known, this is so counterintuitive. If God were to make himself known to us on earth, one of the best ways that he could possibly do it is by becoming one of us. But it goes beyond any of our natural intuition, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense. But let me ask this, and I always ask this of people on the line, of course, people who are considering questions of meaning and purpose in their life. If God were to make himself known in a person, who do you think he would look like if not the person of Jesus? Undeniably powerful, unquestionably authoritative, unbelievably kind, above all of the social norms of his day, able to live out his life in the purest, most beautiful life that we ever read about and we've seen and seen other people experience, the person of Jesus. If God were to make himself known, who do you think he would look like if not the person of Jesus? It's his life, but it's not just his life. Let me tell you about some proof that he is who he says he is. He's the son of God. And we point to the evidence of the resurrection, that the historical evidence of the resurrection is such that it is possible for us as Christians to say beyond any reasonable doubt that Jesus rose from the grave. And if, ever, if you've never looked at the evidence for the resurrection, I would suggest that if you want to deepen your faith, if you want to strengthen your faith, look, at, for, the, look for the evidence for the resurrection. There's loads of books on it. You can come on the life course. We're about to do it this week, in fact. Come on Wednesday and hear the talk. It is unbelievably compelling. In fact, atheists have looked for the evidence of the resurrection. They've become Christians as a result of it. There's books written about that. But the third part of the gospel, it's not just his life, it's not just the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, it's also, of course, his death on a cross. 
so counterintuitive. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The only way that it makes sense is if we were to hear how Jesus explains that it's going to happen, how his followers then explain why it happened and the resulting experience that we have of a closeness to God as a result. The gospel is totally, it is a mystery. It could only have been made known by a supernatural revelation. And it's a gift. It's an absolute gift to us. And here's what I want to say this morning. If you're suffering right now, if you're going through a period in your life where it feels incredibly difficult, this gift is for you right now. If you've been through suffering and you're still processing that, you're still coming to terms with what happened, it comes up every now and again. This is a gift for you right now. If you're currently okay, this is going to be a gift for you as you go on in your life. We all need to hear this because we all need to know that when we go through periods of suffering, it is possible not to be disheartened. It's possible to not have our heart ripped out of our bodies and to feel nothing anymore and become numb and bitter and despondent. So how does this gift work? How does this gift work? Well, let's do it through the gospel. So the life, the resurrection, we'll do that second and the death of Jesus. Firstly, the life. Here is the point. God became flesh to experience our pain. God became flesh to experience our pain. This is the mystery of Christ. We would never have got there on our own. So, the Jewish people, Jesus is, reveals himself as God to the Jewish people. This would have made no sense. They were monotheists. They believed only in one God who'd revealed himself to the people of Israel. So when Jesus shows up and they say, well, he, they, they had an understanding of a Messiah. They knew they needed rescuing, but they had no idea that Jesus would claim to be one and the same as God himself. It was completely counterintuitive. It's also completely counterintuitive for us. It's counterintuitive for any world religion. No other religion has its founder and most important figure in the religion say, not just this is the way to God, but say instead, I am God. In Buddhism, we're told, well, in Buddhism, we're told that um, Buddha died seeking the truth. Not that he found the truth, not that he has it in and of himself. He died seeking the truth. Muhammad says he's a prophet of God, not God himself. I'm a prophet of God. Gandhi said it's really unwise to not emphasize the fact that we all have faults, that the wisest might err, that everything can be revealed as being wrong in certain people, no matter how perfect they may appear to be. Jesus, unlike any of them, says this, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I am one and the same person. Totally counterintuitive. What is the point of that in relation to our suffering? Well, it means that we don't worship a God who is distant. We don't worship a God who is unmoved in our suffering. We don't worship a God who is unconcerned with our pain. Instead, we worship a God who has entered into it himself. Because when Jesus came on earth in the flesh, he didn't just live this pain-free life totally distant from any reality that we might experience as human beings. He experienced suffering on the deepest level possible. He experienced relational suffering. 
So when he started his ministry at the age of 30, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, he started to proclaim he's the Messiah of God. He said, the kingdom of God, heaven is here. It's at hand, and it's through me. You can experience it through me. Do you know what happened? His mom and his brothers came to him while he was ministering and said, Jesus, you've gone mad. We need to take you back home and lock you up because you're crazy. You're loco. It's all gone wrong. Can you imagine how that must have felt for him? Your own family telling you you're a nutcase. He experienced relationally with his disciples, the people for whom he said, are my family, those that do the will of God. Do you know, Judas wasn't someone that was just on the outskirts of Jesus' ministry. He was one of the 12. He was one of the closest people to the person of Jesus. Jesus would have walked with him, ate with him, slept in the same room with him, laughed with him, cried. He was a good friend of Judas. And Judas, at the end of Jesus' life, sold him to be killed for some money. Can you imagine the pain that must have caused him? One of his best friends, Peter. When he's taken to the cross, Jesus dies alone. Peter is asked, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And Peter says, I never even knew him. Jesus experienced relational pain. He can identify with us in our own relational pain. He also experienced emotional pain. We're told that in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, that he literally sweated blood. Now, I don't know how that works, but I know that means that is serious levels of anxiety. That is serious, deep, physical levels of trouble. Jesus knew what it meant to feel grief. When he's told that his friend Lazarus has died, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He cried. I don't think he was crying as some sort of performance. Show, look, I have emotions too. I think he cried because he deeply loved Lazarus. And he was dead. And he felt the grief. We know that Jesus also felt suffering physically. If there's one thing we know about crucifixion, is that the Romans were experts at making those that they were about to crucify suffer as much as possible before they physically died. And in the lead up to the cross where Jesus finally gave his final breath, he'd experienced a beating. He'd experienced torture at the hands of the Roman authorities. He knew what it felt like to experience deep physical suffering. So how does that help us? in our suffering. Would you know one of the hardest things for people who go through really bad times in their life, one of the hardest things for people who experience trauma is that they often they say, nobody knows what it feels like. I feel completely on my own. People are talking to me and they're trying to help me, but nobody knows how I'm feeling right now. And the beauty of Jesus becoming flesh of experiencing in himself the kind of suffering that we experience is Jesus knows how you feel. No matter what you're feeling right now, no matter what you've been through, he's looking in the eye and his eyes are full of deep compassion and knowing of where you're at. It's not like the human response. Jesus doesn't make it about himself. You know, when sometimes we're going through a hard time and we tell a friend or a family member and they say, oh, yeah, it's like this time when this happened to me. And you're like, shut up, shut up, just shut up. I don't want you to make it about you. I don't want you to tell me about your suffering. I'm suffering right now. Jesus doesn't do that. 
He doesn't try and fix it in the moment. This is often the thing that happens in my marriage. And now I'll be having trouble. And my instant response to anything that she's troubled by is, let me fix it. I'm here to fix it. I hate suffering. I hate pain. I don't want anything. I don't want it in our house. Let me fix it. Can I fix it? And she says, would you stop trying to fix me in my pain? Just be with me in it. And it's not like some cheap Christian platitude where we just say, guess what? All things will work together for the good of those who love him. No, Jesus draws nearest to us in our pain and he sits with us in it and he says, I have experienced what you've experienced. I've been there before. And let me just, let me just be with you. Let me be close. The gift that we have in our suffering is that God became flesh to experience our pain. Second part of this gift that we get from Jesus is in his resurrection. And this truth is that God rose from the dead to deal with our pain. He's not just with us in the suffering. He has an answer to our suffering. Verses 10 and 11 says this in our passage. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. What does it mean by that? It means that our suffering is not the end of the story. There is an eternal, not a world, not a purpose that's happening in the next few years or whenever. There is an eternal purpose that God is working through the person of Jesus. One of the main themes of Ephesians is this, and we read it when we did week one. Ephesians 1 verse 9, it says this, He made known to us the mystery, same words that he uses in suffering passage, of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What's the mystery that he's purposed in Christ? To put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven where there is no suffering, no tears, no crying, no mourning, and on earth where there is suffering and there's pain. This is not the end of the story. Do you know what the end of the story is? The end of the story is Revelation 21 where Jesus returns and God's presence is with us fully in a way that we could never comprehend or understand. But he's so fully here that all of suffering and everything that causes suffering is banished from the earth and in us. And there's no more tears, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more grief. The old order of things have passed away and Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. There is an end to our suffering. Do you know pain, and we don't need to go deeply into the theological parts of this, but the reason we experience suffering and pain is because everything is falling apart. So since the fall, it's interesting you use the word fall, but it's helpful actually. Since the fall, everything since is falling apart. Our relationships are falling apart. Our bodies are physically falling apart. Our emotions are falling apart. The world is falling apart. And when Jesus came, God came in flesh through the person of Jesus and he was resurrected from the dead. That is Jesus saying that the falling apart is not the end of the story because there will come a time and there is a time right now in and through me where I'm bringing everything back together. So no matter how bad it feels right now for you and your suffering, it feels like your whole life is falling apart. It feels relationally things are falling apart. It feels like emotionally things are falling apart. It feels physically like things are falling apart. Jesus says, that is not the end of your story. I'm bringing things together in unity. So take heart. 
Don't be discouraged. How does this help us? Well, it's not the atheist kind of life happens, deal with it, is it? It's not the religious, God is testing you through suffering. Don't, in the same way, don't listen to any Christian that says you won't suffer. Do not listen to any Christians who say that God is causing your suffering. God does not cause suffering. God is good. He cannot cause suffering. He is not the author of suffering. The suffering that we experience in life is nothing short of a symptom of the disease, fallen world in which we live out our lives. God is always the solution to our suffering. That doesn't mean that we can't come to him and be real with him about our suffering and complain and get angry. That's absolutely fine. David does it constantly in the Psalms, but God is not the author of suffering. He is always a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And it's not the irritating Christian, all things are going to work together. That is true, by the way, but my experience is people who are experiencing suffering, any kind of suffering that I've had or times of trouble in my life, when somebody says, oh, by the way, God's doing a work in you, it's going to be amazing, it's going to be incredible at the end, it's going to be like coal, and you're going to come, the pressure's going to cause it. Whenever you're experiencing suffering, you don't want to hear that. That is generally the result, it's true, but when you're in it, that's the last thing you want to hear. What do you want to hear? You want to hear that God is with you. And you want to hear that this is not the end of the story, that Jesus will fix this. We were in a a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, a Christian conference, and um, a couple did one of the sessions, and they were interviewed, Rich and um, Ness, I think it is, Rich and Ness Wilson, and they've experienced a horrific year. I couldn't even begin to imagine what they've experienced in this last year, but their 12-year-old girl was diagnosed with cancer and within a year um, tragically died. And they were at this conference and they were talking to everybody about their experience and their experience with God in the suffering, their experience with the church in the suffering. They said one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard about this, because they were charismatics like us. They believed in the gift of healing. So they'd been praying for healing for their little girl for all of this time, for the entire year they'd been praying for miraculous healing. They'd seen miraculous healing, but their daughter wasn't healed. And they said this, they said the whole time that they were praying for her, and she was amazing, apparently she was experiencing the presence of God as they were praying for her in the most beautiful ways. She became a a huge witness to her friends in her school, the way that she dealt with her suffering. But the mum and dad said at this conference, we know the whole time we were praying for healing, we know that God was either going to heal her in our lifetime or he's going to heal her in eternity. And it's when we have that perspective from eternity, that whether in this world or in eternity, Jesus will fix it. That's where we find our hope. That's where we're able to go. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not horrific. It doesn't mean that we don't feel like our heart has been ripped out from us, but we know that ultimately this life is not the end of the story. So first, God became flesh to experience our pain. Secondly, God rose from the dead to deal with our pain. And then finally, and this is the most important thing, God offers us his presence in the place of our pain. God offers us his presence in the place of our pain. This is from verse 12 of our passage. It says this, In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, which just means trusting, trusting the person of Jesus, We may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. When we're experiencing pain and trouble and suffering, the way to not be discouraged, 
the way to, for it not to feel like our heart has been ripped out of our body, to become numb, and to feel like everything, any hope has lost us, is to approach God with freedom and with boldness. This is the ultimate gift of what Jesus has given us, and really it's the crux of the gospel. And the crux of the gospel is this, that the purpose of life is found and lived out in relationship with Jesus. And that is something that we get to experience now, not in the future, right now. That we can experience the most intimate, close, beautifully loving and powerful and life-changing relationship with the person of Jesus because of what he has done on the cross. And here's what Jesus did on the cross. He took upon himself, this is so counterintuitive. Remember I said about the mystery? This could only be from God. Nobody could have thought this up. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our pain, all of our suffering. He entered the ultimate suffering, which is separation from God, his Father on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we don't have to experience the same thing? Because he is near. And we can approach him with boldness and with freedom. Boldness because we know that we don't have to tick any moral boxes in order to be able to enter his presence. We just come. It's a gift of grace given to us by the person of Jesus. And freedom. Because in his presence, we can be fully ourselves. Whether you're feeling brilliant about life right now, whether you're feeling absolutely horrific about life right now, we are free to be ourselves. And in that place, he pours into us his loving, healing, hope-filled, joy-filled, that goes beyond this shallow happiness that is talked about in the world, this rock of joy that we can stand our life on, is experiencing them through his presence. Um, natural part of my job is that I, um, I'm often with people when they're experiencing horrible times in their life. And this started straight away in my ministry. I was a youth leader, started out, and part of my youth group, um, five of them were from the same family. In fact, they made up most of the youth group. And so this family became really good friends of mine, and they all played guitar, and they were all musical, and I loved music. And so I used to go around their house with the youth, and I used to play the guitar with them and sing with them. And sometimes we do a bit of worship. Most of the time we played the Beatles. And their dad really enjoyed music too, so he used to come into the living room with all the kids, and we play um, songs together and have a good time. About a year into my time being their youth leader, their dad was diagnosed with cancer. And this was when I was part of a church, planting a church in America, and they didn't have healthcare, so they had no finances to be able to actually seek help for this cancer. And so it had gone unnoticed, and as a result, it was now beyond anything medically that they could do in order to be able to help him in his cancer. And so it was just palliative care, really. And you can imagine how horrific this was for our youth group, for our church, but five, half of our youth group, their dad was dying of cancer. And the dad, during the year that he was dying, used to invite me around, and we'd play songs together on the guitar, and the kids would play too. And increasingly, over that year, he started asking more and more for worship. And there was this beautiful progression of us playing songs together, secular songs, to us starting to worship together in their home. And we'd sing these songs of worship, the five of them, and the dad and the mum, and the beautiful sense of the presence of God. And it got to the point where he'd been put into a hospice, and he'd come to the end of his life. And I got a call from one of the kids, 
And he said, can you come in and can you come and lead some worship for us as a family? And so I went into the hospice and into the room and I had to my guitar and we just started worshipping together as a family. And I can honestly say I have never experienced the presence of God like I experienced the presence of God in that moment. There's this crazy verse in the Bible where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know what the word blessed actually translates as happy? Happy are those who grieve and mourn, for they will be comforted. There is something about the way God shows himself in our suffering and in our pain, and when things are going wrong, that is incredibly powerful, far beyond anything else we experience. And so what I want to say, those of us who are suffering here this morning, you're going through a time where it feels like you are troubled, you need to approach God. However it is that you do that, I don't know if you do that best through worship, I don't know if you do that best by being with other Christians and being encouraged by them, I don't know if you do it best by reading your Bible. However you do it, if you're going through pain right now, the natural thing, the intuitive thing would be to withdraw yourself. But do you know what the supernatural thing is? The thing that can only be from God is to step in and to approach God. And in our suffering and in our doubt and in our pain, he will draw near to us. We will experience him. And we experience his healing presence and his comfort by the Holy Spirit. If you're not currently in a bad time, doesn't feel like you're suffering, you might have been in the past, or you know, you're not right now, it feels okay, well then this is the encouragement from this passage. Learn how to approach God. This should be the, I mean, this should be just us in general. If it's all about relationship with God through the person of Jesus, if our purpose is found in and of that, this should be our daily mission, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the best thing you can do right now while things are good is to learn how to approach him so that when you experience times of trouble, you know what to do. So you're not left helpless. And the other thing, and I want to pray for people who are experiencing trouble right now. The other thing is, notice this, and I'll end with this. Notice this in verse 10. His intent was now, so this is the mystery that he's made known. His intent was now through the church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The other intuitive thing to do when we're suffering is to step away from church, to step away from relationships, to back off. And it's only through the church that we experience the manifold wisdom of God and we're able to take courage. And so for us as Christians, this is why Paul says when part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When part of the body is celebrating, we all get to celebrate. But the important thing for us as a church, a mature church, an Ephesians church, is that when people are suffering and they step in as a church, we rush towards them. And we say, your pain is my pain. This is part, we're part of the body together and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will fall afresh on you now and fill you with your comforting power. Can we stand? And I want to ask something very brave of people who are troubled right now. And this doesn't need to be some extremely, like an extreme version of trouble or suffering. Like we all know, don't we, that even 
the smallest thing in our life can have a profound effect on our mood. It can affect our heart. It can affect our emotions. If you're experiencing any trouble, any suffering right now, what I'd love you to do, and it's very brave of you to do this in this moment, is to come and find a space up front and to close your eyes, to open your hands, and then the re- some of the rest of us in church, we're going to come, we're going to gather around you, and we're going to lay hands. Is that okay? So if that's you, just push yourself out of the row and come forward now and just find space here. Something's just wrong in your life right now. You feel like you're losing heart. It feels like things are difficult. That's incredibly brave. Thank you. Keep coming. Anyone else? Just find a space here as well. And there's a bit more space over there. Thank you. Well done. And just when you come up, just shut your eyes and hold your hands out. And just the church, as a church, we're going to gather around you. Now, thanks, Hills. Well done. So anyone else? There's more space here. If you just fill in that space. Brilliant. Well done. And just guys that have come forward to be prayed for, just in your heart, in your mind, just ask for the, for the Holy Spirit. Approach him now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Just fill these guys with your presence now. Let's just wait for a little bit. If you're there, just as you're waiting, be praying. Come, Holy Spirit. Keep waiting. I said there's someone else who's not come forward who's experiencing really bad anxiety at the moment. And the anxiety is so bad that you're struggling to sleep. If that's you, can you come forward? I'd love to pray for you. Just come forward anytime. Come now. Thank you. Well done. Just come find a space here. Can you just meet her? Yeah. We had a word in the pre-service prayer about a rib that's really sh- making, it's making it really hard to breathe. Is anyone here that's got a problem? It was the right side of your rib and you're struggling to breathe, if that's you, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Okay, you guys that have come up, just keep waiting. Holy Spirit, would you come and comfort these people now? Only you can do this. Only you can do it. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Well done. More of you now. More of you. going, just keep waiting. And if you've come up, just say to yourself, I'm going to receive quite a bit of prayer right now. A lot of different people are going to come around and pray for you. The rest of us here, if you consider yourself a member of the church family here, and we're going to need about 15 to 20 people, could you come forward now? And could you just lay a hand on somebody? Try to, try to lay a hand on someone who catches your eye, so you're seeing them. Just come and lay a hand on them. Thank you. We're going to need more than that. Thank you. Well done. And stand in front of them. So stand in front of them. That's it. And keep your eyes open. You don't need to shut your eyes. Well done. Uh, we're going to need a few more. Andy, yeah, amazing, thanks. Corey, if you could do, thank you. Um, going to need three, two more people. Three more people, thank you so much. Two more people. Thanks, Chloe. Thanks so much, Ellie. Just over there. Okay, so you guys that have come up, this is not a time to preach at them. It's not even a time for long prayers. All you need to do now is just agree with the prayer that they've just prayed. Come, Holy Spirit. Just increase your presence now. And you can pray that out loud and just keep asking for more, more of your spirit.
if you're out there and you're just watching, just keep praying. Pray for these guys. They're part of our body as a church. And just bless what you're doing. Just increase now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Increase what you're doing. Increase what you're doing. James and Juliana, I just sense the Lord just wanting to say to you how proud he is of you, that he's so incredibly proud of your heart. He's incredibly proud of who you are. He's incredibly proud of what you're doing. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen them now? Give them courage. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, prayers. As you're praying, if you start to sense God giving you a word or a picture or a verse, just share that with the person you're praying for. No pressure to do that at all. But if you do, just start to share that. And we're just going to keep doing this for a while. So people being prayed for, just stay there. Even if the person leaves you, we'll keep circulating around. Um, Johan, could you play something quiet in the background? Thanks, mate. And so for the rest of us, it's not too late to come up and get prayer if you want prayer. Um, but what I'll do is I'll officially end. So may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love this day and forevermore. Amen. If you need to go, feel absolutely free to go. Same on YouTube. Thanks for joining us. If you're currently suffering, just spend some time in the presence of God. If someone's with you, get them to lay hands on you. If they're not, just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you now and to fill you with his presence. But the rest of us, if you need to go, feel free to go. And if you're not being prayed for or you're not praying for someone and you've got kids, if you could go and collect your kids. Rockets are over at the vicarage.